was an ordinary fisherman who heard an extraordinary call. He wasn't rich or educated, but familiar with hard work. He was quick-tempered and impetuous, but possessed a passion that would change the world. He left everything to follow his teacher, yet struggled with doubt and fear. But Jesus saw in him what others did not, a rock on which to build his church. So this morning we're going to be talking about that man. We're going to be spending some time reading about and learning about Simon Peter. And to begin, I think we all share something in common with that man, Simon Peter, is that we all like the water. Or at least I hope you do, because you might not have realized, but our state is pretty much surrounded by it, and there's holes all in it that are filled with that water-like substance. And along with liking water, like Paul, perhaps some of us also have a love for boats. Uh, Perhaps we like to look at them. I'm in that phase of life where I can't quite afford one on my own, but I sure love to look at them. I love cruising around in them, and I even like to fish out of them. The water and boats are an important part of my life, maybe for you. Uh, So I thought we'd start this morning, get ourselves a little warmed up for the sermon uh, by playing a little identification game and seeing if we could figure out uh, what boats these are. Uh, So can we guess what this is? Wow, the first service didn't get the Disney part. I had to offer extra credit. Way to go, 9.30. Way to go. Okay, on to the next one. Sailboat, excellent. I love driving over the bridge to Fort Myers Beach and seeing all of those sailboats tied up. It's such a beautiful sight. All right, how about the next one? A tugboat. I can't tell you how many times I had to search for a friendly-looking tugboat, but doesn't he just look so happy? I'm here to save your day. (laughs) All right, very good. How about the next one? A dinghy. Yeah, not everybody's favorite, but you're really glad you have one when something goes wrong. A dinghy. Great. And the next one for the fishermen? Yes, the big boat. I'm sure all four motors are totally necessary on that boat. (laughs) And then, of course, I have to end with this. Oh, yeah, the pirate ship. Anybody? The Black Pearl from Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, one of my favorites. So our, for our sake today, and go along with me on this, we all have a boat in our life. It might not be a physical boat that we own or ride in, but we do have a place where we all go to when we want to feel safe. A place we go when we feel afraid, or a place we go when we don't want to deal with the hardships or the troubles the world seems to put in our lives. A place where we go, perhaps when we want to give up. We just don't have the energy to keep fighting the waves or what's going on. But today and always, Jesus and the gospel challenges us to get out of our boats. To become followers of Christ in a bold and powerful way, we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to get out of our boats. 
boats that we polish and protect and do anything we can to stay in. The gospel tells us to do the opposite, is to be bold and to get out of them. And Simon Peter is a perfect example of that. So who is this Simon Peter person? I'd argue that he is perhaps one of the most important people in all of the Gospels and perhaps even the entire Bible. Yet he is also one of the people who we study the least. The disciple believed to be the beloved disciple, John, is mentioned about 20 times by name across the Gospels. Judas Iscariot, who was the one who betrayed Jesus, is also mentioned about 20 times. Thomas, the doubter who had to see Jesus' wounds to believe after he had risen from the dead, only mentioned 10 times. Bartholomew, James, Simon, and Thaddeus, other disciples, only mentioned three times by name. But Simon Peter, on the other hand, is mentioned over 120 times. And Peter, I'm going to refer to Simon Peter as Peter for the duration, uh, is not only mentioned more times in the Gospels, but he is the leading figure of all the disciples in the first half of the book of Acts, or the book that's about the early church and what it looked like. And even though he and Paul, Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament, who we uh, typically look to as the founder of the church, uh, they didn't always see eye to eye but Paul still revered Peter and called him as a pillar of the early church. And on top of his already impressive biography, Peter wrote two of the books in our New Testament. And upon his death in the hundreds of years following, he was considered Rome's first bishop and the founding pope. I had no idea. And that's a pretty impressive story. He did a lot of things. When we talk about Peter in that way, it seemed like he had it all figured out. He was a pretty amazing guy. He was tuned in with the Holy Spirit and knew what he was doing. And he was. But if we really study the words of the Gospels, regardless of which book or which author, Peter is almost always described as a flawed disciple. One who seeks to follow Jesus, but is also confused, afraid, and faltering. So much so that when his faithfulness mattered the most, he denied knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. The Gospels paint Peter, a hero of the church, as a flawed follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that the gospel writers were comfortable telling these stories about Peter in their books because Peter told these stories about himself over the last few decades of his life. Peter did something unique. He owned up when he messed up. He named that he had failed and had not always been the most faithful follower of Christ. And he used his struggle. He became more human when he shared those stories so that he could relate to the common people that he was with. He didn't attempt to be some mighty religious scholar up on a pedestal talking down to the people, but rather he named he was just like them and shared his story and said, if God can use me, God can also 
use you. And I think that translates to our world today. I don't think God's story has changed on that one. I think that means that no matter what brokenness we have in our lives, that we do our absolute best to hide from everyone else. God knows about it. God knows the wounds we have. God knows the scars we have from the battles we've fought in this world. But God uses them. God uses them to help tell the story of mercy and forgiveness and grace and love of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, the pains and struggles we have, we're not alone. Thousands, if not millions of people around the world suffer from the same things, and Christ calls us to be in community. Just like Peter, God can use where he was flawed to do something beautiful. The same is our story today. And while Paul's shortcomings are clearly on display in the Gospels, if you read them, so is his courage, his determination, and his longing to know more about this man named Jesus Christ. His willingness to follow him wherever he went, wherever Jesus told him to go, to leave everything, and then to serve Jesus, even if it cost him his life. So the question then comes up again, what can we learn from this person named Peter, a flawed but faithful follower of Jesus Christ? Would you like to hear more? Thank you. Let's turn now to the good book. Let's look in Scripture, and I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, uh, the fifth chapter. We're going to read a story there, and it says this. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and we've caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and to help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. In that story, Jesus told Simon Peter, do not be afraid. Hang on to that. We'll come back to it. So now that we know how Simon Peter and Jesus' relationship began, uh, I think it's important to know that for us to understand the next part of our story a little bit more. And we're going to uh, hop over to the Gospel of Matthew to hear this, uh, another story about Jesus and Simon Peter. And it goes like this. 
Jesus and the disciples had just finished feeding the 5,000, and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night he was there alone. Small side note here. Jesus shows us a few things just from these first few verses. He once again shows us that he is a servant leader. He puts others before himself. He allows his followers, who did way less work than he did, to leave so they can go rest while he cleans up and dismisses the crowd. Uh, Modernize that scripture a little bit for us if I can. In the world today, that means he stayed late, he put chairs away, he cleaned the coffee up, turned the air conditioner up, turned off the lights, locked the doors, and then he left. Make a little more sense now? But before he did anything else, he took time to be in prayer and to thank God for the miracle that he was just able to do. He took just a few fish and a few loaves and fed 5,000 people. And as soon as he was done, he went to the mountain to pray. He took no credit for the miracle he had just done. He thanked God and he continued on his way. Back in verse 24. Meanwhile, the boat that was full of disciples was already some distance. John's gospel tells us about three miles from land, being battered by the waves because the wind was against them. And Jesus then came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Stopping again. The disciples really thought it was a ghost. Really, disciples, a ghost? Continuing along. Immediately, Jesus then spoke to them and said, Have courage, it is I. Everyone, let's say this last part together. Do not be afraid. All right, now here we go. The first 12-ish minutes of this sermon have led to this point. If you've dozed off, snap out of it. If the person around you is on their phone or the bulletin, give them a little elbow ribcage love from me. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. He caught hold of him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Some of you know this past week, a team from our church just got back from serving on a week-long mission trip to El Salvador. Here's a group of the team and some. On the far left is Sue Becker and then Diane Truslow. Uh, And then Brian was our leader. He's a missionary with his wife there, and that's their uh, soon-to-be-adopted daughter. Uh, And then Adela was one of our translators. She wore that minion shirt, and all of the kids, and myself included, were so excited to sing the banana song. Uh, And then, you know, Donna Brady, she's our finance secretary and our team leader. Uh, And in the middle, that's Pastor Gloria, 
she's the pastor of the church we were at that week. Uh, and then yours truly there. And then we have Judy Hesse. Uh, and on the far right, uh, that is the bishop of the El Salvadorian Conference, uh, Juan de Dios Pena. And uh, it was an incredible week. We were able to do so many things. I'm going to share a little bit more about it with you. Uh, but when I get the chance to share the word with you and to stand here, I like to be honest. I think that's important. Uh, and so honesty moment number one, this was the first time uh, I had ever traveled internationally uh, that wasn't like via cruise boat into a port for a few hours. Uh, it was the first time I went and spent a significant amount of time with people uh, outside of my comfort zone. Uh, and I was pretty scared to go. Uh, and second moment of honesty, if we're being uh, completely transparent, I really didn't want to go. In my role as pastor, I have found myself often making excuses. In fact, I feel like I have this conversation with Jesus, my mother, and my wife at least once a week saying, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. God, can you please just ask someone else this time? And when I think about that, I think about how Peter must have sounded when Jesus said, cast down your nets on the other side. Peter, the master fisherman, having some strange dude walk up and say, cast your nets on the other side, and he must have said, we have been out fishing all night, and I don't know who you are, but because you say so, I will do it. And I feel like that's what I end up feeling as well. All right, Lord, because you say so, I will do it. And often when I finally give in or I do what I know is right or I respond to the nudging of the Holy Spirit, even if I do it begrudgingly, I find myself in the midst of the most meaningful events. Some of the moments in my life that I'll never forget in this most recent trip to El Salvador proved no different. So while we were there, I shared we were able to do a lot of different things. One of them being we were able to host a vacation Bible school for the kids in the community, we would sing some songs and then share with them a Bible sto a story. Uh, we do a craft and then have some fun activity. Uh, the highlight, of course, of Vacation Bible School was uh, buying two pinatas, one that was Elsa and one that was Olaf from the movie Frozen. Uh, and they got to just whack the heck out of those things. And candy was flying and it was just such joy on their faces. Uh, it was so fun. And then... We were also able to go and visit uh, people's homes in the community. Uh, we would show up and they would stop immediately, whatever they were doing, whether it was cooking or cleaning or whatever, uh, and pull up chairs and invite us inside. And they were just so excited to hear our story. And then for, they would tell us theirs and just what they had been through and how strong their faith was. And the most common, and when we were done, excuse me, we'd uh, all stand and we'd hold hands and we'd share prayer requests together. And the most common prayer we heard was for good health and for protection. It was inspiring. And then we were even able to have a special Bible study for some of the women in the community. The women often don't get uh, a lot of attention given to them specifically. They're uh, in the home and getting things ready while the husband has often gone to work or maybe in another country, uh, sending money back. And we were able to uh, take some of our prompts from the New Testament in 90 days that we did this summer at our church and share that with them. It was, they were so uh, appreciative 
of the words we brought to them about Jesus Christ. But then on Saturday afternoon, we were finishing up our time at the church, and uh, here's a photo of the front of the sanctuary. Uh, This is on a steep incline. El Salvador is a very mountainous uh, place with volcanoes. That was also terrifying. Um, But this is the front of the sanctuary, and click to the next one. You can see the inside of their uh, building. So that is their sanctuary with the stage. Above it is Sunday school rooms and the parsonage where the pastor gets to live as well. And if you're new to our church family here, uh, I'll remind you that our church took an offering a couple of years ago that for the most part, financed building, this entire building. Uh, So this is a photo of what your generosity uh, to our offerings can do. So praise God for that. But I was standing right about where the woman is sweeping on Saturday afternoon, and Bishop Juan de Dios Pena, who I showed you earlier, kind of moseyed over to me and said, "Uh, Pastor, God has told me that you will be giving the sermon at church tomorrow. And it was another one of those Holy Spirit nudges of like, God, could you send anybody but me to do this? But it's a bishop. What I'm, I'm not going to say no. So I quickly agreed and with excitement, and he said, but don't worry, I'll translate for you. And I thought, okay, well, that's a relief, kind of. And so we went home, and I began preparing the sermon. I thought, oh my gosh, what an opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to people who might not get to hear it from somebody that looks like me or talks like me. And just what an incredible opportunity God has put in my path. I can't mess it up, you know? And so the next day, uh, church wasn't until 3.30 in the afternoon, which was so nice to sleep in for once. And... But we, that morning, we went up to the top of a nearby mountain, a place called Ataco. And while we were there, I was, we were wandering around, and Sue Becker, who's here someplace, and I were uh, wandering around looking at vendors, and I don't know if she noticed, but I was mouthing the, my sermon over and over again to make sure I got it right. And the line just kept coming back to me. Lord, because you say so, I will do it. Lord, because you say so, I will do it. And as we were walking along and I was thinking, you know, I really had to get out of my boat this week. I had to get out of my comfort zone to come to El Salvador. But what I also recognized is that I was still holding on to my boat pretty tightly. And I hadn't taken the full step and let go and let God work through me. I still had to have control. And as I was thinking that, uh, we came by a vendor who was selling this boat. And I I just knew it was a sign from God because I think I've told you before, I've had a pirate-themed birthday for every one of my birthdays except one growing up. And so the fact that the boat I saw was a pirate ship, I just knew it was a sign. And so we brought it back, but it was God reminding me, and it was almost like he spoke to me. It was clear as day, and he was saying, Robert, I've used you, and we've come a long way from where we first started in your journey of faith but I'm nowhere near done. And you have got to stop relying on yourself and others, and you have got to put your faith in me. I think that's God's message for each of us. We've got to get out of our boat. We've got to stop holding on for dear life and relying on ourselves and those around us. But rather, Jesus is waiting there with his hand outstretched to hold on to us, to keep us safe. And I almost felt in that moment that God told me, 
you of little faith, why did you doubt? I tell you all of that today because I too had to seriously take the words of Scripture uh, that we've been reading and talking about today. I had to be like Peter. I had to get out of the boat. And I've learned, uh, for me, I've identified that I think my boat is this church. It's my job. I can appear to be the most faithful and devout Christian without having to leave my office during the week. But I, too, have to practice what I preach. You see, my boat, I would imagine my boat looks like that. At least I really hope it looks like a pirate ship. But that boat has got a lot of places to hide when things get hard. It's got a lot of places to go to where I don't have to deal with the waves or the crew or the people around me. You see, my boat that I've taken really good care of my whole life has given me comfort, it's given me happiness, an easy life, a well-balanced budget, a full belly, a good family, a stable group of friends, my job, and all the other things I'd like. It's almost crazy to think, well, if you've got all that, why would you bother getting out, right? But we have to remember what Jesus told Peter. You've got to get out of the boat. And I did, just for a little while this past week, and my life was changed forever, just like Peter's was. And I think of people in our own congregation, people that have shared with me what they're going through or what they're starting and doing for God's glory and for the kingdom. I think of our new staff members who are stepping into roles with a new vision and a new plan to welcome new people to fill these pews. I think of members of our church that are on the other side of the globe right now with Pastor Tom and Karen uh, in the Holy Land. They didn't have to go over there, but they wanted to go to walk where Jesus walked, to sit where he sat, and to pray where he prayed with these disciples. Those folks are getting out of their comfort zone to deepen their relationship and their faith with God. I think of people that serve on our local mission teams that are working with victims of domestic violence and sexual abuse when our partners would act. I think of people who give of their time and money every week to feed the needy at the food pantry just a few doors down. I think of the folks who seem to be at this church day in and day out volunteering to make sure everything is ready for our studies and our church services on Sunday. The list goes on. These are just a few examples, but these are all ways that we continue to become better disciples of Jesus Christ. We take one step at a time. If you're not ready to leave the country and go on a mission trip, that's fine. If you're not ready to join a Bible study, that's okay. But get out of your boat at least for a little while. You have no idea what could be on the outside and what beautiful and incredible thing could be waiting for you. Only God knows that. And I think perhaps one of the most beautiful ideas about getting out of the boat when we take the step out and we're still hesitant and we're holding on tight, is when we finally let go, I imagine us falling right into Jesus' arms, which is exactly where we're supposed to be. So my challenge and my question to you is this. I challenge you to figure out what your boat is and then get out of it. You can come back in from time to time but really try to figure out what that next step is for you to get out of your comfort zone, to do something for the glory of God and for the kingdom. 
You'll remember these past six weeks we've been asking ourselves, what do we believe? We have been defining it, defending it, and declaring it. We've had six weeks of learning and of being comfortable, but now it's time to do something about it. So what is your boat, and what are you waiting for? God wants to use you for something incredible. And if you'll have faith like Peter, or I hope that you'll have faith like Peter, then get out of your boat. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the many ways that you provide for us, that you watch over us, and you are our guardian. God, today, I pray that we are able to recognize what our boats are, what our comfort zones are, and that we are able to boldly step out of them, let go, and fully put our faith in you. For God, you are waiting for people to step up, admit that they might be broken or have scars, but they can do something mighty in your name so that someone else might know of your love and of your grace and of your forgiveness. All of God's people said,